Welcome everybody to episode number 304 of the eps- of the extra podcast. Around the table today we have Greg. Hello. Welcome here. Thanks. And Andy. Here I am. Yep. And Jeff. Oh yeah. It's been a while since you've been on the podcast, Jeff. Last time you were here, you promised to cheer for the Ducks and look how that went. Well, they won, didn't they? The Ducks did. Yep. Yep. No, they didn't. They well, got they eliminated. No, 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 no. This was a couple of weeks ago. He was going to cheer for the Ducks. I did. So they so wouldn't that the, win. So they wouldn't win because he oh. never. His teams never win. Mm-hmm. And that worked gotcha. out real well. Gotcha. Because they clearly beat the Oilers. Didn't work at all. It's not an exact science. <laughs> Meanwhile, the teams that I really do love uh, aren't winning. So, <laughs> well, that's good. So normally, I, I just don't think that we can dupe God. Is what I'm trying to tell you that he knows that deep in my heart, I don't really care. About the Ducks. Ah. Do you think Tim Tebow will make it to the major leagues at no. some point? Never. No. He's just a shtick. Is uh, he still playing? What? No. Yeah, he's playing baseball. How many single A players in the world are going to make it to the major Isn't league? Is he in double baseball? A now? No. I thought he was double A. a now. Okay. Is he oh. double A? I, I don't I know. I thought maybe. he got promoted. No, he didn't get promoted. It's Tebow, like, man. He's betting like 208. Tebow time. It's better than I can bat. Do you know, apparently he is like the biggest thing since Michael Jordan hit that level. Jordan was at double A. That's true. I can imagine that he but is the he biggest is thing. The to biggest hit thing. Apparently, like I read that that everywhere he goes, there are they sell out, massively sell out all this stuff. I bet people love Tebow. What is it about Tim Tebow that causes people to it's love his name. so much? No, it's not his name. It's what I, name? It's just fun to say. No, seriously. What is it? What is the um, first of all? I am I. I had all sorts of time for Tim Tebow. Like, he's a pretty remarkable guy. Yeah. Yes. Right? It seems like a genuine Christian guy. Uh, re- really uh, seems to promote all sorts of good values and stuff like that. I just... and he, I've been told uh, by people who... <clears throat> you know, I know people who know people who met him that he has this, like, genuine way about him that you feel like you're the most important person on the planet when he's talking to you. Hmm. That's probably part of it. So I guess in this day of sports stars, he's he's the he's just not very good. You know what I mean? Even as a football player, in pros, he just wasn't very good. He should have just learned to run. See, my thing is he never got a real shot. It doesn't matter. All he did was win. It's true in Denver, and they're like, oh, we're gonna have to draft a different guy, even though he helped us win one game. He hit one playoff game. You won one playoff game. He won that game. Yeah, it's true. Threw the ball. Yeah, but yep. he, his form's weird, so he it can't make it to the NFL. No. Yeah, but Stupid NFL. It is interesting that he's not even a backup. You'd think that somebody would make a, make him your their backup and just say, okay, so when you get the ball, I want you to run straight ahead. Yeah. Because he's, he's like 260. Yeah, mm. he's a big boy. And just, just cut. Yep. Get the ball, run that way. Don't stop. Andy, do you like Tim Tebow or do you only care about Tom Brady? No, uh, I... Uh, TB12. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to stop talking about sports before we lose all of our listeners. Um, especially because we're going to, if we start talking about the Patriots, everybody's going to stop listening. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love those Patriots. Undefeated this year. Um, we're, <laughs> Jeff, you were preaching this last weekend uh, on the rich man and Lazarus. Um, is there anything that you didn't get a chance to say? You were. Or, or maybe or is you there could something? say a little bit more. Yeah. But with that one voice you did. 
Can I get a little? Yeah, people were giggling at eight thirty when you use that voice. Can I hear a little of that? Well, voice? Your smoker's voice. voice. Smoker voice. Uh, Come on now. Please they give giggled. Me a little smoker voice. People around me were giggling. Yeah, it was a little. Unc- you you like committed to yeah. that voice. That's what he sounded like. Did you practice that before your sermon? Don't I, lie. I'm I'm not about that. <laughs> That's what he sounded like. I'm going to. You need to know that that. Can you imagine? Seriously, though, this guy, he comes in, and the reason he sounded that way is because yep. he had a little, uh, like yep. a little, Yeah, it wasn't a tube, it was like a, a little voice box thing coming out of his neck. Oh. And it, his voice was coming out of that, like, and it, it was so off-putting. You'd never forget that. Did he put the microphone by his throat? No, there's no microphone. It's just a grade nine health class. Oh, my. Oh. And he was, honestly, probably the most powerful uh, motivational speaker ever. And it wasn't because of the content of what he said. It was just basically, don't smoke. And you were like, oh, okay. <laughs> I am not smoking. Not smoking. Don't have to convince me any more than that. This is crazy. Yeah. I had friends in the class who did smoke, and they were like, I'm giving it up. I'm <laughs> stopping now. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. So is there anything you'd... I mean, we can open it up to the guys here, too. We, we It was basically talking a, a little bit about hell and... Is there anything we want to nuance about how little, we talk about it? It's a little bit about it. Yeah. We talked it was about uh, the rich man and Lazarus. Yeah. Yes, it was. So I'll ask you guys a question. One of the big questions about this passage. Uh, do you think that this passage is speaking about real a real mm. uh, real events or real circumstance? Not real events that did happen, or real events that could happen though. Or is it just to be, just a parable? Because people will say that. Oh, it's just a parable. Don't take any of it in any kind of literal mm. fashion mm. in any way. So my question for you is, which one do you go with there? Uh, because I, I preached it, taking it as a... Well, I took it as a genuine story that Jesus tells, not about a real circumstance, but uh, out of something that, though, that could, have, could happen. And the reason I did that was because every other parable that Jesus tells deals with real... Uh, real, real things that could happen. So farmers sowing seed or uh, landowners going away on a break. It doesn't mean that they necessarily did that. He's not talking about a real guy doing a real thing. It's just that that it's within the realm of reality for the people he's sp- speaking to. And so, as I read commentaries and others, like so every once in a while, people, somebody would say, "Well, this is just a parable." And I kept thinking, "Well." Like, do you say that about mm. about everything? Do you say that about the prodigal son who goes away and comes back, and the way the father is described in that story doesn't have real? Mm. He doesn't have real character traits that align with God's character traits. Of course not. You think that because he is. Do you understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think so. So you're saying that the commentators are are making the point that you you shouldn't use this story when they're talking about it's just a parable. You shouldn't use this story to come up with thoughts or ideas about what hell might be like right okay those several would say that and they're the 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 reason they would say that is well it's just a parable and parables are stories that are told to make a single point and if that's the case then my response is yes well the single point here is you shouldn't go to hell like Mm -hmm. you should you should avoid uh callous indifference to the poor which will end you in hell Like, so that that would be the point, but they would say, "Well, don't so don't take the particulars seriously." But, but again, my 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 pushback is, but I take the particulars of a story like the prodigal son seriously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I take the pic, I take the particulars uh, of other of other stories seriously. I'm not saying that this is actually the way it is. 
But I'm trying to understand what rationale you have to argue to just to, just to dismiss it completely. Right. Well, one of the things that immediately jumps into my mind is with the uh, beggar that gets to go to Abraham's bosom, gets to go to heaven. Why does he get to go to heaven? Is it because he's a beggar? No. No. I mean, this, that's one of the things, the points that I tried to make in my sermon is that you that, you know, you can one of the challenging parts of this passage is you can read it and it can sound like, well, see, rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven. And there, there are those who in the history of the church have read this passage to be a kind of an example of the righteous poor, right? That everybody who's poor actually is a good, a good guy. It, the, it's one of the things Nietzsche hated it, about Christianity. It leaves, That's how he saw it. It leaves hmm. the question about the beggar un, yeah. unanswered, quite honestly. Um, we know theologically from the rest of Luke's gospel that the way somebody enters heaven is by, by calling on the name of Jesus for salvation, that we know that. So I don't think Luke is using this passage to, hmm. to argue that. I think that what Luke is saying, though, is he's assuming, well, here's a, here's a faithful poor man, and uh, well, he's a Jewish poor man, and, and a seemingly faithful rich man. Right. And by mm-hmm. seemingly, I mean a guy who who supposedly looks the part and looks like God has blessed him. So it's it's, it's just a reversal. It's basically yeah. saying, don't let don't let what you see, uh, the, the socioeconomic circumstances of people in this life be a determining factor regarding whether or not you think God is on their side or not. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. That actually there's there's a lot there's a lot of responsibility that people with money have. And that's a very Lucan uh, theme mm-hmm. that if you have money. Uh, that it, it is a blessing and also a challenge because you, there's a lot expected of you with your money. And if you're callously indifferent to the poor, that's that's a good picture of what you ought not do. Which would make sense for, for Luke. I mean, his primary audience is a, a rich dude named Theophilus, right? So for him to be putting these stories in as he goes to remind his primary reader what what place he's in and how he should think of himself regarding what God's doing in the world through his kingdom. So the story of Zacchaeus at the end of Luke's gospel is a, is a great um, summary. I think of what you're supposed to do as a, mm. as a, like, what does it look like to be a faithful Christian and be a wealthy person? Well, Zacchaeus is that guy. He, he's a guy who actually sees the grace of God given him and responds by being like remarkably generous with his wealth. So I want to come back again to this idea, though, that you're proposing or posing. Uh, what about, though, okay, so I, I, I'm with you, but I, I just different questions. So such as the rich man wanting his tongue dipped in water because the, of the, the burning. Yeah. So it seems to me like this is a parable mixed with metaphor as well. Sure, maybe. <laughs> I'm saying maybe because again, I I don't, I I want I want a positive reason that f- why I shouldn't see this as a description from Jesus mm-hmm. of uh, of the real nature of hell. And it, I, I'm happy I'm happy if you can provide one and say, well, this doesn't go a jive with this, and then, and then I'll be like, well, yeah, okay. Fine. He's telling a story that it fits with the current framework of the way they understood hell and stuff. It's not actually the way it is, but but there, are, I'm again. 
I'm going to point out, and part of my sermon was to say, I think you can learn some stuff about hell here. One of the things you learn is the fixed chasm Mm -hmm. that I think precludes any belief in a second chance theory. Uh, I think that the idea that, that, uh, I think, I I think that the, there, there are other things we can learn about hell regarding, I think, I think the justice is peace in that the actually, he's actually being, you know, Mm -hmm. what he's reaping is what he's, or is what Mm -hmm. he sowed is an important is an important piece in it i'm I'm with you here's the one that i would throw out there just to see what you know what do you guys think about this this is a very c.s lewis you know idea of hell is would ask the question um would would the rich man want to leave hell so so here's so tim keller uh follows c.s lewis's line quite a bit here and tim keller's reading of this parable is that the real problem is that the rich man who goes to goes to hell hasn't abandoned his own idolatry namely and he as is evidenced by the fact that he he's still ordering Lazarus around he's still requiring Lazarus to go he wants Lazarus to come and serve him and go Lazarus go do this so as if Lazarus is somehow beneath him on the face of it that sounds plausible the the problem is in the context that that's not, it's really doesn't seem to be what's going on here. And, and in order to have that viewpoint, uh, in the end, he, he would say, Keller says, look, 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 the idea that God is, uh, you know, keep keeping somebody in hell, uh, you know, pushing down the sinners in hell who are trying to get out. That's not the right image. People, you know, the, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. Uh, and the people who are in hell want to stay there. I, I gotta be honest, when I get to the end of this story and this rich man is saying, Go tell my brothers not to come here. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to understand how that mm. how that is a statement saying, "Yeah, I really like it here. I'm burning, but don't t- but tell my brothers not to come. Tell them to repent, and you send someone back, send Lazarus back from the dead." Because I, it is interesting, though, to for tell, Keller's point, the fact that the rich man doesn't ask to go to where. The poor man is. He's asking the poor man to come to him to dip his right. tongue. But again, but then I agree with here's you. Here's my here's my rationale there. though for why that's happening though is that mm-hmm. that literarily the 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 story is basically told about a man who has plenty and is eating a great feast, and a man outside his gate who longs to have the smallest morsel from that table, okay, in this life, but doesn't ever receive it. And then in the afterlife, what you have is a the man who was in want is now the one with plenty sitting at a great feast. And the man who is now separated from that feast was the one who used to have it. And he is longing to have the smallest morsel in this case, the tip of the dip of water from the table. So I'm, I'm trying to understand, like, I just don't see that people want to argue, well, why did he want him to come over here? Well, the same reason that, that Lazarus wanted the rich man to bring the bread out to him and have that thing earlier. It, it, the point is, it's just, they're supposed to be parallels as a comparison. Mm-hmm. And, and as a result, I just, I think you're making too much of this. I think you're making too much of silence here. So, Hey, why didn't he ask for this? Why didn't he ask for that? Well, I, I, I don't, I don't know, but I can explain to you why he asked for what he did because it's a parallel to what was happening in the real, you know, in the, in the life. The afterlife is a parallel, you know, the the flip side of what was happening in the world. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm. I thought you teased that out really clearly. So I'm. My my fear here's my fear with what Tim Keller 
has has said, and I, I mean, I don't agree with him. I don't think at this point um, on this. I, I think I think my fear is with that he he is he's going to make hell. Um, I don't want to say a little a little less scary, but I, I think he does something to the judgment of God in it. So 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 Philippians two, um, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I think that's what that's what's going to happen at the end of time. That that there that everyone will see hell or heaven. They're going to see the glory of God and agree that Jesus is the Lord of all. His point is, well, some people are going to maintain want to stay in opposition to him in hell, and may, may, yeah, maybe. But I just it seems to me that there's a level of there's a level of retributive justice that goes on in hell. That that sometimes what Keller's talking about doesn't sound that way. I think Keller though would say that that is the ju- the retributive justice is they're getting what they've sowed. Yeah, fair. I, again, I I just don't I don't love his reading this parable in its context. Are right. you allowed to say that about Keller? Yeah, I'm <laughs> I said that. I said that last week. Like, can Kyle Meeker say is that? like his brain started to explode. <laughs> I yeah I I raised questions about John Piper and Tim Keller in the same kind of oh, man. hour and did Kyle nearly, know what to do? He nearly went into a seizure. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No, um, I mean it's a, you know it's a funny thing though. Is this is a good interesting discussion, right? I mean, we we all hear from people who we mm-hmm. have a lot of time for, right? Mm-hmm. Different teachers or or professors or you know well respected leaders and the more you end up studying the bible sometimes you get to the point where you 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 do the bible study yourself uh on on a passage and you come to some conclusions that you're like oh i don't well i don't know if that's that's quite it's not it's not that it's not right it's just don't know if it's quite the emphasis on this passage or i don't know if i don't know if you've really even like if I sat down at a table with you and debated or discussed with you, I, I think I would ask you some questions that I'm not sure your answers would, in the context of the passage, bear it out, which is which is a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, we we are sola scriptura, right? We are we That's are right. people who don't believe in popes, and even if their names are Tim Keller or yep. even if they're default popes like John Piper, or because we're not talking about right. court doctrinal or NT right or pick whoever mm. your favorite mm-hmm. whatever is, and everything they say is amazing. And I, mm. you know, I have a lot of time for MT Wright and a lot of what he writes, but I've gone to some passages of scripture and read him and then after the end done the exegesis on it and gone, man, I just, you have made the small thing, the big thing here and mm. the big thing, the small thing. And I just don't, I don't, I don't see it. Mm. Um, likewise, same thing with Don Carson or like there. And I think they would all want you to do that because they're yeah. all Protestant. They're mm-hmm. all saying, yeah. no, yeah. I mean like I might, they might disagree in the end, but, but embrace the idea that no, go study it yourself. As long as you're working on the same premises, which is, look, we're trying to deal with words in their context and understanding how original uh, author's original tent is, is supposed to, is supposed to be worked out. But Jeff, don't you agree that this is, we're talking, we're not talking about core doctrinal issues here. No. We're, well, I mean, judgment, no one's arguing. We're actually arguing about the nature of the judgment. And I'm pretty, I am pretty loose when it comes to, cause I, you know, Jude talks about, uh, judgment being cast out to outer darkness. Uh, and other passages in the scripture talk about hell as being a, a fire or a lake of fire, and I, and this passage seems to say that it's hot, 
in, in that regard. I, I don't know. I don't ultimately know. I, th- I think I, I, I have all sorts of reasons to believe that it's torment. Whatever that looks like, in this case, fire or outer darkness could be torment too, but whatever it is, it's torment. It's palpable. It's conscious. Mm. Uh, I have no other reason to believe anything else through the scriptures, not just in this text, but other places. I, I don't think that there's a second chance. We're not told there's a second chance. In fact, this passage seems to make it explicit that there's not. Mm. Um, I, 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 it's just, not just in this ground, but, but philosophically, it's, it's just for an eternally worthy God to judge somebody for an eternal time mm. because their sin has an eternal weight. I, but I, so... Yeah, I was talking more broadly with with, with regards to say you disagree with N.T. Wright or Piper or Keller. Protestants aren't disagreeing on core doctrinal issues. We we tend no. to be disagreeing on these more open handed. Now there are these issues though, such as hell, and and there's others that start to get borderline questions on. on well, where if, these you're, get if you're talking out. about the nature of hell, meaning uh, m- meaning whether it's meta- whether fire is metaphorical or literal. Then yeah, you're dealing with like second or third degree issues. Like it's not, you know, we can debate that for a long time. If you're dealing though, you start getting a little closer to the nature of it and and more of a debate about it. If you end up saying, well, no, it's not eternal, or because then you then you're actually dealing with well, it's or there is no such thing as hell. Yeah, or universe any kind of form of universalism. Which mm. so there are those who want to argue that that this is not a core doctrine, and so uh, if it, you know if. If I'm a universalist, that's part of the Christian stream. In fact, that's a real popular thing to say nowadays. And people will, they'll point to the, the creeds and, and things like that and say, wow, you know, that it's not something that's written out in, the, in some of the earlier creeds. And so because of that, we can still be good Bible-believing, Orthodox, ca- capital O, lowercase o, whatever, whatever. right-believing people. And then dismiss the doctrine of, of hell because it's not in any early official creeds. Yeah, and I I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with that uh, partially because disagree with what disagree with the fact that you can it, uh, there are some things that I think you can disagree with regarding hell. That's what I'm trying to argue. Right. When I say it's nature, I'm actually okay even if you say, well, I, I'm kind of an on, annihilationist in the sense that somebody is in hell for a period of time and then they cease to be. But there is a period of torment that they experience. I think that that you can, you can probably read that way a little bit in the scriptures, even though, but, but there are some passages that I struggle with because we know that God's justice is at, is at stake in yeah, this conversation. Absolutely. And, and the nature of Christ ultimately, because G, if Jesus took hell on the cross and he, it needed to be Jesus who took it for us, then that has something to do with the quality of Jesus hmm. person. Okay. Yep. So if in you end up saying, well, to the judgment, yeah, but if you end up saying, well, no, it's, it's not an eternal judgment, then I'm going to say, well, then you didn't need an eternally worthy savior. Then you, you only needed a, a really good savior. So these, these doctrines are tied together, right? The yeah. atonement is tied together with the doctrine of hell, which is tied together with the person of Jesus. So the dominoes start to fall and you end up wrecking Christian theology in an attempt to try to get out from what the Bible seems to be saying pretty clearly and what the church has pretty much always said about hell, which is that it is conscious, it's eternal, it's torment, it's permanent, these sorts of things. So one of the um, pushbacks that people will give is the overreaction bit. Of, of it doesn't seem like a very measured thing for God to send people to 
hell for an eternity for even people who who didn't even maybe hear about God um, or the gospel, and yet now they're sent to this kind of place. But one of the things that I think is is a, another helpful layer to what you brought up was the fact that Luke in, in Luke 12 talks about that there are um, degrees of punishment within hell, that, mm. that there, it's not like everyone receives the exact same sentence and the exact same experience, but Luke uses the imagery of, of a, this, this, or I think it's part of a parable of a servant who knew what the master wanted him to do and didn't do it, mm. receives a severe beating, whereas a servant who didn't know received a little bit of a lighter beating. And his point is, if you know more, you're more, you're going to be held to a higher account. So that doesn't change any of the core eternal conscious, uh, tormenting aspects of hell. And yet it does help provide a bit of a rationale for how God's not just this out of control acting as though he's totally overreacting to, to the actual situations of people around the world. Yeah, and divine justice has something to do with all this too. I, I would say that again, if the, it's the, the desire to minimize uh, hell is on, on just in my heart, one that I I feel. <laughs> I don't know if you guys feel that, but I feel it. I, I, I like I'm I'm warmed to the idea because I don't like the idea of hell, mm. um, and yet it's one of those places where I have to. I, I really do submit to those scriptures and say, look, I, I just. I don't think the Bible's teaching this. And so you can abandon scripture if you want and come up with a different theology. That's, that's your prerogative. But uh, I, I, I came from churches that were like that. And I decided that that's really a non-starter because at the end of the day, you're just left with a man-made theology that, that is palpable to you. And so in the end, I just, uh, to me, either go big or go home with this sort of stuff. And so I, I, I try to honor the scriptures as best I can. And ultimately, uh, you know, the real, the real point when we talk about this is that this should influence the way we pray for our brothers and for, for people in the, in the uh, world. It should influence the way we think about why God has placed us in certain circumstances in the culture at large, like, uh, in your school, if you go to, you know, and with your, your kids, friends and, and uh, on baseball teams and those sorts of things that actually it's it, it's the baseball team's not just about winning. It is about winning. You want to support the team and be there. But as Christians, we're there as salt and light. And we, we want to see our friends and others uh, rescued yeah. by Jesus. And that that th- this this is the overwhelming that it is. It is a terrible, terrible fate. To, so so that, we want to we want yeah. to share I think that this is why Jesus talks so much about hell. I mean, that's the part for me as I've read through the New Testament that was that's that really catches your attention as Jesus is constantly talking about hell. And I think that there's this aspect in that on the one hand, I agree with you, Jeff, that you can shrink back from hell and you want to minimize it. Yet, if you truly love and care for people like Jesus did, right? He doesn't shrink back from it. He doesn't minimize it. In fact, he makes it as horrible as possible and talks all the time about it. All the time about judgment. That's what's so funny. People these days want to say, well, you know, you don't want to. That's what I said kind of in the introduction of my sermon is that people want to say, well, I don't want to. We don't want to talk about hellfire and brimstone. We'll give people (laughs) other things. And and you know what? In the modern world, there's been a real real movement among 
Christian pastors to not talk about the, like the real problems that you have in your life or the things you feel presently, right? It's not your eternal your eternal destination. It's what you feel presently. So do you do you have a lack of I don't know a purpose or do you have a lack of you have too much stress in your life. Well, come to Jesus and he'll give you purpose or come to Jesus and he'll, he'll reduce your stress and come to Jesus and he'll, and some of those might be true and some might not be true, but they're not, that's not actually the way the gospel is framed in the scriptures, right? The gospel in the scriptures is actually, there is, so even in Paul goes up to Mars Hill and at the end of it is there's, oh, God has actually demonstrated all this by raising a man from the dead. Who's going to, he's going to judge all of you. Right. And so this idea of judgment is, is a, regular part of it that Jesus Jesus saves us from something he saves us for something and he saves us to something mm-hmm. uh, the the from is not a purposeless life <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah. it it's actually from from the the just wrath of God that the that God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit decided before the foundations of the world that they would devise a plan to save people from that just wrath and this is how they've chosen to do it. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I, we probably should be more open to talking about it. I start, I wonder sometimes if, if churches talk much about these, I don't know. You guys tell me, I, you guys, to other, we all go to other churches at times to times. And I, is this weird? Is it weird for someone to talk about it these days? Or maybe I'm, I'm overplaying that. Uh, I think that culturally, this is one of those taboo subjects that you hear rarely talked about, and that's because it do, it makes people feel uncomfortable and they they don't like it. And I think it's because hell, when they read it in the scriptures, is horrible. But I would actually say that Jesus is is trying to make hell out to be as awful as he can, and he's using all sorts of metaphors to do so because he doesn't want you to go there. This was the whole your main point at the end, Jeff. You don't need to go there. You know, come to Christ, put your faith and live for him. Uh, but this is the problem in a culture of rebellion, hmm. right? And in re- sin and evil, right? And we and instead we would rather follow our ourselves. And so of course we don't want to hear about how broken and messed up we are and where it's leading. What's weird about it is we, the culture's become uh, like mocking about it. I actually had to le- eliminate some stuff in my sermon. One of the things I had to eliminate is this the way people... Remember Harold Camping a few years ago? Yeah. How, how it is that people around... Like, Harold Camping was the guy who said that the world was yeah. going to end on like May 21st of 2014 or whatever it was. Still here. 2011. <laughs> yeah. We did a podcast on that well, day. We did. Anyway, but he did it. It was just interesting how, how people responded to it. Hmm. How like they were parties that people f- had during it, yeah. saying, "Oh yeah, judgment's coming." And, uh, in in a in a true mocking mm. uh, sense, and I, on the one hand, of course, Hill camping is nutso and all of that, and we know the scriptures teach us that you know not going to know the day or the hour and all that. And so, in a sense, yeah, I, I kind of have an affinity with the people who threw parties at the same time, but. On the other hand, I'm just a little, I'm uneasy with the idea that you're, that you're celebrating flippantly in the face of the coming judgment of God, which is repeated throughout all the Bible. And then you have Christians trying to denigrate it or make it sound like you either shouldn't talk about it or, or, or that it's even immoral now to talk about it. You're just trying to manipulate and they make fun of, of 
divine judgment. Well, the gospel's not, not that God's going to judge everybody and Jesus went to him to save you from that. And I'm like, really? I, I mean, that's the gospel that the church has been preaching for, for ages. And yes, yes, it's also about the gospel of the kingdom of God and their positive aspects of how he's going to renew the world. Yes, absolutely. But it's also about judgment. We're in a weird day. That's all I'm saying. We're just in a weird day. Yeah, we are. Um, if you guys, I'm going to throw this back to our listeners. If you guys have any more questions about hell for the podcast, if we didn't answer any of the ones that you may have, feel free to send those in. Mm-hmm. We'll try to answer those in an upcoming podcast. Um, I do want to touch on something quickly. There was a listener who sent an email in um, about Jeff's sermon this last weekend talking about we evidence our faith through good works. And so mm-hmm. how do how does one go about that? Do I need to do more good works to prove that I'm a Christian? How do I know if I'm I'm doing those things? I guess is the is the line of the question. How do I how do I prove that? Do I just go out and try to do as many good works as possible? Hmm. A healthy tree doesn't think about uh, growing the fruit. A healthy tree grows the fruit. It just does. That's what healthy tree. That's what it means to be healthy. Is it grows the fruit? If it's in good soil, that's the way it's made, right? You plant a tree. It's in good soil. Grows the fruit. So, all, what I'd say is, if you're a healthy Christian, and then the good the good works will will come. The Spirit has provided or you prepared them beforehand that you might walk in them. So walk in them. That's Ephesians two ten, by mm. the way. Mm. So I I just. I don't think it's as complicated as that. I, I quite honestly think that there are all, all sorts of opportunities in front of you to honor Christ at, in every area of life, and you're going to fall fall short of most many of them. So we are quickly repentant, which is a sign that the Spirit's at work in us. But we also see the Spirit showing up in His fruits, right? For, uh, what are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And you see these things in increasing measure in our lives as we get older and older. And of course, we see the depth of our depravity as we get older as older and think, oh my goodness, mm. it's deeper than I thought. So I don't, I would, I never, I hate quantitative language in this. Like, oh, how much is, it's never, no, it's not about how much. It's like at this present moment in your life when, are you saying no? Are you persisting in saying no to Jesus regarding something that he clearly states in his word? Yeah. Right? I, I think about uh, the story, uh, Matthew 25, where Jesus separates out the goats mm-hmm. and the sheep. And his response to the both is, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to my brothers, or you did to me. And both times they respond, well, when did we see you? Mm-hmm. Both both categories respond the same way. Mm-hmm. So the the sheep are just doing it and they're not counting it as like a checklist of, oh, I did it all these times and I did all the right things. It's but, just what they do. Exactly. Right. It's it's part of what it's part of who they are. So I mean that yeah. It's got it's got to be something. But you know, this is what's gonna happen. If you spend your time in the word of God and it, it will make you wise for salvation <laughs> and you mm. you will end up seeing God's will in revealed in the scriptures. And you will end up, your conscience will be piqued, and you will end up uh, knowing the right thing to do in certain circumstances, right? Uh, th- I think that's what it means. Uh, I urge you, therefore, brothers, this is Romans 12, 1 and 2. By the mer- I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. 
which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you might test and approve what the will of God is, good, mm. pleasing, perfect will. So in other words, uh, so submit yourself to God and, and, and don't conform yourself to the pattern of this age. And then you will test and approve what the will of God is. And I think morally what that means, like what, what is it that God wants you, how does God want you to live in a moral sense in your life? You, you will increasingly know mm. as you submit yourself to Christ that the thing to do here is for me to ask forgiveness. The thing to do here is for me to seek peace. The thing to do here is, is for me to uh, honor my commitments. The thing to do here is to, you know, to love her as Christ loved the church. <laughs> do you know? Yeah. I think if you're if you're in the spot where you're feeling like you wanted to do more, uh, not to demonstrate that you actually are a Christian, but you feel like the Spirit has convicted you and you you do actually want to act on this. This is one of the reasons why our our pastors and elders have have worked to try to discern certain ministries that we actually trust uh, that we think are doing good good things in the world uh, for the poor through local churches. So this is why we're, we're pretty unashamed about bringing in people like Compassion and IJM is not just because we don't have anything to fill that weekend and someone needs a weekend off. So we bring in a guest speaker. Actually, no, we want to have opportunities for people to see here's a ministry we trust here. Here's people doing work in the world, helping the Lazaruses of the world uh, through a ministry that not only provides felt needs, which is amazing, but also preaches the gospel to them so that they can be the Lazarus who does lean up at the banquet table against Abraham. Um, and so if you're feeling like, man, I really want to do something and I'm, I feel like money is a way that I have not been serving the Lord, you should look into compassion and, and Inter- international justice mission and look at what they're doing and find ways to be a regular contributor because that's a way you can actually practically l- work some of these things out the language of Philippians uh, of work out your salvation that that there actually is an energy part on your on your shoulders to to do to do something but don't feel overburdened about needing to do it in order to get favor with God, no. but you, you do it because but you have favor you, you think, man, this is a way that the spirit wants me to respond in worship. Right. Is I've been graced. Yeah. And that's the thing when we brought up Zacchaeus earlier, that's what happens to the guys that the, he shouldn't, he shouldn't be welcomed into a, a meal with Jesus. He shouldn't. He's, a, he's an outsider. He's a tax collector. He's filthy in the eyes of all the religious community. And yet Jesus extends him remarkable grace. And it's at that dinner party where, or whatever, where Zacchaeus basically is like, oh my goodness, he responds to the grace that Jesus shows him by saying, I want to be your friend. And, or sorry, Jesus says, I want to be your friend. And Zacchaeus responds by saying, okay, so half of my money I give away. So the, you see how the order works here, right? Is the, the grace of God shown in Christ, welcoming the sinner, and the sinner then responding with, uh, with, you know, uh, I, we should call it radical. It's normal, uh, normal obedience and normal sacrifice. And that's what Romans 12, 1 is saying. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, because of what God's done for you, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It reminds me of when Jesus said to love, uh, that you'll know who my disciples are uh, because they love one another. Right. Yeah. But they're, they're not loving because they want to gain something from Jesus. Right. They're, they're loving because Jesus loved them, 
right? And the one who loved them and gave himself for them is now calling them to walk in his way. So we walk in his way, not so we can get gold stars or extra... By the way, I think whatever this, it's, we walk with Jesus because of out of thankfulness for His grace, and and I think that this really points to the power of grace, is that it's because of what Jesus has done in your life and the grace that He's extended to you that you can legitimately love other people, because now you it's not like it's this double you know, standard going on. I'm going to love them so that God will love me or that I can somehow gain favor with God and get saved or whatever it is. No, no, no. Right. It's because you're saved It's because God has extended his grace to you that you love other people. And that, that becomes a true, um, act of care and kindness towards other people. There's there, there isn't any other mode. Doesn't need to be any motive behind it because it's not going to get you anything other than it's an act of obedience. It's a desire. Right. Yeah. Thank you guys for being here with us. We appreciate all of you listeners as well. Tune back in again. Again, if you have any questions, extra at northview.org. Or again, we are, we are on Facebook. So send us a message and we'll try to get to it on an We're upcoming on podcast. Facebook? We are on Facebook. Our extra podcast is on Facebook. Yes, we are. What? Yeah. Are you the one who keeps track of the Facebook web, the Facebook site? I am. I'm not on Facebook. So... So So you can send your complaints to Brian at rfu.org about the Facebook page. Have a good week, guys. Mm